up your voices. Tell you what, it's uh, definitely sweet for um, for me and I know Brian, Bobby, is, and uh, the musicians as we've been singing like that in an empty building and uh, just hoping. I ought to take a survey this morning. I just feel like taking a survey. How many of y'all really sang out loud at home while y'all watching us on TV? All right. Well, praise the Lord. Some of you did. Some of you didn't. That's all right, but that's all right. You know, isn't it good to be back where we can sing out loud and hear the praises of God's people? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. So can you imagine how it must have felt to be exiled from your homeland where you had the freedom to worship and now you didn't? Or you were exiled and from your homeland and you were not able to gather in the house of God and worship with the people of God for 70 long years? Perhaps we feel like we've gotten a small taste of that in the last four months. One-third of one year. Children of Israel had it for 70 long years. And hopefully during this period, we have been reminded of the great value of worshiping together, celebrating God together, and making it a priority every week. Have you heard of the story about the man who became president for a day? Does anybody know the name of the man who was president for a day? President James Polk spent his last day as president on March the 3rd, 1849. And at midnight, Polk was out of office. But his successor, General Zachary Taylor, was a staunch churchgoer. He refused to be sworn in on March the 4th, 1849, because it was Sunday. And he said, and I quote, Going to church is a higher priority than becoming president of the United States. He postponed his inauguration until Monday, March the 5th, so for one day, U.S. Senator David Atchison of Missouri was the president pro temp of the United States. Can you think of anything more important than becoming president of the United States? Zachary Taylor could going to church to be with God's people. You know, the number of churches that close each year is nearly, and this is a 2003 statistic, so it's 17 years old, but it is probably far worse today. The number of churches that close each year is nearly three times the number that open. And no county or parish, and I say parish because we can't leave out precious Louisiana, where we're from. No county or parish in the nation at that time reported a higher percentage of church attendance than it did 10 years previous. We should praise the Lord. Why? As we talked about last week, because He is God and we are His people. But we should praise the Lord when. We should praise the Lord when we're able to come together and worship Him. As we experienced in a much smaller way in the last four months, Israel experienced several periods of separation and disconnection 
followed by the reestablishment of corporate worship. The first one I want to call your attention to is in 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. The Ark of the Covenant had been lost. Not in the sense that they misplaced it and couldn't find it. It had been captured in battle. They were at war with the Philistines, and the Philistines captured the Ark. And the Ark, of course, represented the presence of God among His people. And now the ark has been captured. It's been taken away from Israel. In fact, when it was captured, uh, a child, Eli, the priest's grandson, was being delivered. And uh, the child that was born was named, anybody remember? Ichabod. And Ichabod, was, he was named that because the ark had left, had been captured and taken away, symbolizing the presence of God, taken away from the children of Israel, so that this lady, this woman, named her child Ichabod, meaning what? The glory has departed. So God allowed his, the symbol of his presence to be taken away from his people for a period of time. But David had a longing and a desire to bring the ark of God back to the people of God, to reestablish the worship of God. 1 Chronicles 16.1 So they brought the ark of God and set it in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. Then they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before God. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. Then he distributed to everyone of Israel, both man and woman, I'm sorry I don't have this for y'all this morning, but to everyone a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and a cake of raisins. Sorry, I left that off, but... But y'all probably had breakfast and lunch maybe somewhere in the future. Distant. And he appointed some of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord to commemorate, to thank, and to praise the Lord God of Israel. So now the ark has been brought back, symbolizing that the presence of God is now back with his people. And so what do they do? They involve themselves in a time of corporate praise and worship coming together. You know, I'm grateful that we have this opportunity, we have this privilege, even though it's quite different, isn't it? It's different that we have to sit every other pew, and it's different that we have to sit in family groups and separated like this, but at least we're able to be together. Amen? And at least for those of you who cannot be here, we're able to communicate like this online. We can thank God for that. We can praise Him for it. There was another opportunity where Israel was separated and disconnected. And we find that in 2 Chronicles chapter 29. This is a result of the first time we looked at was a result of the ark being captured. But this time, the temple of God that Solomon built was grand in its design and beautiful. Uh, it was now abandoned. Now, you just imagine how they had had this tabernacle, this traveling worship center, this portable place, this tent. And uh, I remember when we started our church in Louisiana, uh, we had a mobile building. It was basically a, uh, I call it a, a triple wide trailer is what it was. It was a mobile home. 
but it, it was designed where the ceiling folded up and the walls folded up like this on both sides and, and it fit about 75 to 80 people at the most. That's how we started. Had two little classrooms on the front. We even built some subdividers where we had, as we began to grow, and we had Sunday school in the worship center, and then we just collapsed the walls that we had built and met for worship. It was a mobile church, and we couldn't wait. We couldn't wait to have our own building, and, and we did. We were able to build a building and, and uh, meet together. How excited and glorious that was as we longed to do that, that at great anticipation. And then, all, and then to think, that's what the children of Israel were doing. They had this tabernacle, this temporary structure for all these generations. And they couldn't wait for this permanent structure to be able to come and meet together. And they get it. But then, after a period of years, they begin to take it for granted. And other things come along that distract them. Other gods. Other peoples. And they start looking at how other people are doing things. And, and they want to become like them. And so they start doing these practices with these other, other people that take them away from their temple and their worship of God there together. And so God is displeased. The temple gets neglected. It begins to decay. Nobody's meeting there anymore. Nobody's paying attention to it anymore. Could you imagine that if we neglected this building and this campus for a period of years, we never cleaned it, we never met here, we never turned the air on, never turned the heat on, we never were here. Can you imagine what it would begin to look like? Well, that's what was happening to the Lord's temple in the Old Testament. And God was not happy. But then along comes a king like Hezekiah in chapter 29 of Second Chronicles. The Bible says he was a good king. He was 25 years old when he became king. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord. And in the first year of his reign, one of the first things he did, the first month of the first year of his reign, he reopened the temple. And he called people back to worship. And you should go back and read the account of Hezekiah's reforms and how he reopened the temple and called people back to worship. And we read in verse 25 through 30, says, he stationed the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals, stringed instruments, harps, according to the commandment of David, of Gad, the king's seer, and of Nathan, the prophet. For this was the commandment of the Lord by his prophets. The Levites stood with instruments of David and the priests with the trumpets. Then Hezekiah commanded them to offer the burnt offering on the altar. And when the burnt offering began, the song of the Lord also began with the trumpets, with the instruments of David, the king of Israel. So all the assembly worshiped the singers sang and the trumpeters sounded. All this continued until the burnt offering was finished. And when they had finished offering, the king and all who were present with him bowed and worshipped. Moreover, King Hezekiah and the leaders commanded the Levites to sing praise to the Lord with the words of David, out of the book of Psalms, no doubt, and of Asaph, which was another of the writers of Psalm. So they sang praises with gladness and they bowed their heads and worshipped. That is because they were able to come back together. Hezekiah brought a great, the Lord used him to bring about a great reform after a period of separation and disconnection because of their idolatry, their distraction. You know, before COVID-19 hit, what did the average church look like? Well, just a few years ago, only 48% of church members attended half the time, once a month. That's not even half the time. 
about half of church members attended only once a month. And if you were to ask them, they would say, yeah, I'm faithful to that church, but they come 12 times a year, but they're faithful to the church. You see, across our denominations, the multi-denominations, churches all over the country, the house of the Lord has been neglected. Maybe not to the point of the temple here, but we got distracted. We looked at the customs of the people we were living among, and we started coveting doing what they were doing. If they play ball on Sunday, it must be okay for us to play ball on Sunday. If they go fishing on Sunday, it must be okay for us to go fishing on Sunday. If they go to the mall on Sunday, it ought to be okay for us to go to the mall on Sunday. And we replace the worship of our God with the worship of their gods. Idolatry. And then God allowed COVID-19 to hit. And said, if you're going to neglect the house of worship with my people, then I'm going to take it away from you for a period of time. To teach you the value of worshiping together. You see, years ago when I was a teenage boy, there was this gospel music group that came along. They were not the ones who wrote this song. The Kingsman Quartet actually wrote and sang this song, but the Southland boys performed it. And I know it to this day, and you do too. We could probably all sing it together in unison. I won't, Brian, again. But it's called Excuses. And it highlights the idolatry of God's people, or supposedly God's people, who will use anything else in the world to replace commitment to God on His day with His people. Excuses, excuses, you hear them every day. The devil, he'll supply them if church you stay away. When people come to know the Lord, the devil always loses. So to keep those folks away from church, he's offered them excuses. In the summer, it's too hot. Amen. In the winter, it's too cold. In the springtime, when the weather's just right, they find someplace else to go. Well, it's up to the mountains or down to the beach or to visit some old friend or just stay home and kind of relax and hope that some kinfolk drop in. Well, the church benches are too hard and the choir sings way too loud. Boy, you know how nervous you get when you're sitting in a great big crowd. The doctor told you now you better watch them crowds. They'll set you back. But you go to that old ball game because you say it helps you to relax. Well, a headache Sunday morning, a backache Sunday night, but by work time Monday morning, you're feeling quite all right. While one of the children has a cold pneumonia, do you suppose, while the whole family had to stay home just to blow that poor kid's nose? Well, the preacher, he's too young or maybe he's too old. His sermons aren't hard enough or maybe he's too bold. His voice is much too quiet. Sometimes he gets too loud. He needs to have more dignity or else he's way too proud. Well, the sermon's there too long. I was waiting for it. And, or maybe they're too short. Not my problem. He ought to preach the word with dignity instead of stomp and snort. Well, that preacher we've got must be the world's most stuck-up man. One of the ladies told me the other day, well, he didn't even shake my hand. Excuses, excuses. You'll hear them, every, hear them every day. The devil, he'll provide them if church you stay away. When people come to know the Lord, the devil always loses. So to keep you folks away from church, he's going to offer you excuses every Saturday night. That's why you've got to make up your mind Saturday night. I'm going to church in the morning. You've got, you got to make your decision on Monday morning. I'm going to work that mo- Sunday night. I'm going to work on Monday morning. You see, that's what happened in Israel's case, and I think that's part of what happened in our case. We just took church for granted. And God took it away for a while. 
Another episode we find in the book of Ezra, chapter 3. Now, this episode, the first one was from battle. The ark was captured. second episode was because of their idolatry and their distraction uh, from the peoples around them and that they bought into that lie. And the, Now, this third one, because they didn't really learn their lesson, God said, well, I'm going to take it to a, up a notch. I allowed the ark to be captured for a period of a few months, a few years. Then I allowed the temple to be abandoned for many years. You still haven't learned the lesson, so now I'm going to take you from the land. And I'm going to destroy this temple. Completely demolish it. Burn it all up. And take you worshipers completely out of your land to a foreign pagan land. That's why I asked you at the beginning of this message, can you imagine being uprooted from South Georgia, the Baptist buckle of the Bible Belt, and uprooted and put slap dab in the middle of Timbuktu pagan land, where it was illegal to worship God, gathers God's people. That's what God did to his people because they continued their rebellion. That's why I've warned us through the through God and His Word. If we go back to the way it used to be in our daily lives, then God's got something worse coming than COVID-19. You can bet. If we just go back to the same old routine and the same old business and the same old stuff that we were involved, we're not honoring God with our lives and on His day, He's going to pick, pick it up a notch. Why? Because he loves us too much to leave us where we are. He wants us to worship him. And so that's what he did. For 70 years, he sent them in exile. Destroyed the temple, destroyed Jerusalem. 70 years in exile. But in God's grace and God's mercy, he was with them there. And he raised up a king by the name of Cyrus, a Persian king, a king who was a pagan, who didn't know the Lord, but the Bible says, God says, he was his instrument and his tool. And then he put it in Cyrus's heart to allow Israel and actually to issue the command for Israel to go back to their homeland and to rebuild their temple. He even provided the resources for them to be able to do that. And so Zerubbabel goes back. He begins the rebuilding of the temple. Ezra goes back and he begins reestablishing the worship. And in Ezra chapter 3, beginning in verse... Not sure what verse this begins with, but uh, I think it's around verse 10. He says, When the builders laid the foundation of the Lord's temple... The priests stood in their apparel with trumpets and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord. Cymbals. You know, by the way, some of you say, I don't like drums in the church. These cymbals. And these. Well, look, you're being unbiblical. I'm just going to tell you, that's unbiblical. They were using loud cymbals. You read the book of Psalms. And then we got some people that don't even like musical instruments at all in their worship. I don't get it, but I like music instruments. Cymbals. To praise the Lord, according to the ordinance of David, king of Israel. They sang responsibly, praising and giving thanks to the Lord. What they say? He is good. His mercy endures forever. Then all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. So here it is. Corporate worship, the gathering of God's people to praise and worship Him has been reestablished once again in Jerusalem. That's what we're experiencing now. We had a four-month exile. Nothing compared to what Israel went through. But I hope we never have to do that again. I hope we will follow the word of the Lord. 
You see, corporate worship, the gathering of God's people to praise and worship Him, is to be the natural outflow of those who love and follow the Lord. Listen to Psalm 22, verse 22. I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. Verse 25, my praise shall be of you in the great assembly. Chapter 35 and verse 18, I will give you thanks in the great assembly. I will praise you among many people. Chapter 111 and verse 1, I will praise the Lord with my whole heart in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. So we, when should we praise the Lord? We should praise the Lord that we're able to worship. And we should praise the Lord every opportunity we get, which is, by the way, once a week at least. We can gather together and worship the Lord. There's something about corporate worship that creates for us a sense of belonging, a sense of unitedness, a sense of accountability that's irreplaceable in the world. It's a natural instinct for the church of Jesus Christ. At the inauguration of the church in Acts chapter 2, you find them after Peter preached uh, the very first sermon in the New Testament, other than after the Gospels, Jesus preached many, but after the Gospels in the book of Acts, Peter's preaching, 3,000 people get saved, come to know the Lord. And it says they continued in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in breaking of bread. But Acts 2.47 says that they were praising God. It was just a natural outflow of those who come to know and follow the Lord. Do you know what happens when God's people praise Him? I ought to preach a series on that because so much happens that we're not even aware of. But let me give you one thing this morning that happens when God's people praise Him. The Bible says in Psalm 22, verse 3. Now, it's going to be up on the screen here. Look at Psalm 22, verse 3. But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Now, we're, going to, we're not going to diagram sentences this morning like we did last week. But look at the verb. God is holy and he is enthroned. Now that verb, that's a, I like that. That's true. God is enthroned on the praises of Israel. But if you look at the Hebrew dictionary of that word, here's how it's interpreted. I'm going to read it how it's interpreted. God, you are holy. You sit, you dwell, you remain in the praises of your people. So what, is, what is, happens when God's people praise Him? It's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 20, where two or more are gathered in His name, what's the rest of that? There I will be also. Okay, so let's take another survey. I'm in a survey mood this morning. I won't ask you to raise your hand, just do a heart check. How many of you are here because God brought you here? Because you want to be here. Because you think it's important to be together with God's people. Because you want to worship and lift your voice with God's people. You're here because you want to hear from God and His Word. I would venture to say that there's at least two of you like that this morning. Would you agree with me that there's at least two of us here like that this morning? How many of you would agree with that? There's at least two people here today. God help me to be one of them that's like that. So what does Jesus say? Where two or more are gathered in my name, what? There he is. And when God's people praise him, what does he say? I sit there. I remain there. I dwell there. So who's here with us this morning? 
Why is he here? Do you deserve him being here? Are you that good of a person? Have you been that good this week? Nope. Neither have I. Do I deserve to have God meet me here? No, I don't. But he promises that when his people praise him, he's here. Now that just rules out the hypocrite argument, don't it? I ain't going to that church full of hypocrites. Amen, and you're one of them. But if there's two sincere people here, where's Jesus? Here. And are you better than Jesus? If Jesus is meeting with us a bunch of hypocrites, who are you to stay home? By the way, the Christian who says they don't need church to be a Christian, they're right. You need Jesus. You can get saved and never darken the door of a church and go straight to heaven. But let me say this. You can't be a good one without coming to church with God's people. I'm going to go so far, and by the way, I want to lay down a, a what do you call it, a, a disclaimer. I'm not speaking to our folks online who are shut-ins and who are medically fragile and unable to be here with us. So if that's you listening online, I'm not talking to you. And if this doesn't apply to you, I'm not talking to you. But I'm talking to things in general, people in general. You show me a Christian who says, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. And they don't go. I'll show you a Christian who is backslidden. I'll show you a sorry Christian. I'll show you an idolatrous Christian. I'll show you a selfish, proud, arrogant, deceitful Christian. Or I'll show you a person who thinks they're a Christian and they aren't. Because you see, coming together as God's people is a natural outflow of a person who loves and follows Jesus. A person who says, I don't need the church and I don't want to go to church, that's the first indication there is a spiritual problem in that person's heart. Now, it's not my business what that problem is. That's between them and the Holy Spirit. But if you're listening or you're here today and that's part of your problem or you know somebody like that, it's not your, your place necessarily to go and preach this message to them. It is your place to pray for them. It's your place to continue to invite them to come to church with you. Do you know the number one reason people come to church? It's not to hear the preacher. It's not even because they like the music. Do you know what the number one reason is that people say they come to church, they visit a church? Because someone they know invited them. Just invite people. Pray for them. Encourage them. Because there was a time in your life, perhaps, where you were where they are. So, we can praise the Lord because we have the opportunity to be together. May we never, ever take this for granted again. May with the next time you're invited to go somewhere on a Sunday when you can be in the house of the Lord, may you never give in. You see, once turns into twice, turns into three times, turns into a habit. Where half the churchgoers are out three times a month. That ought not be. Maybe that's what God used COVID-19 to remind us. When should we praise the Lord? When we're facing battles. Have you enjoyed the last four months? 
Has it been fun? Has it been easy? Or has it been a challenge? Maybe there's other things going on in your life other than COVID-19. Maybe there's a financial problem. Maybe, maybe there's a marriage problem. Maybe there's a problem at your job or maybe a problem with a child that you're worried about or a parent or a sibling. There are other issues going on in your life that's a struggle, it's a problem, it's a burden, a battle. That's why the psalmist wrote in Psalm 149, verse 6, Let the high praises of God be in their mouths and a two-edged sword in their hand. Okay, why would you need a sword? We don't use swords today much. They've been replaced with guns. Why would you need a weapon? Because you're in a fight. You're in a battle. What is our sword, by the way? The Bible says our, the, Bible, the, the Word of God is the sword of the Lord. But you know, all throughout the Bible, we read of accounts where God's men and God's women and God's people faced battles but they used praise as their chief weapon. Isn't that interesting? Finally, the children of Israel, after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, come to the promised land. Joshua's leading them across the Jordan River. After they cross the Jordan River, there's this great obstacle in their path. It's a city of perhaps hundreds of thousands of people with walls so thick it said chariots raced on top. The name of that city is... Jericho. How were they to defeat Jericho? With what are those trebuchets or those? They didn't have cannons back then. Catapults, thank you, Keith. Throwing big boulders to crash the walls in. Is that how God said to do it? Y'all know what God said to do. March around the city once every day for six days, right? That's what he said. And keep your mouths absolutely shut. Then on the seventh day, march around the city for six times on the seventh day and keep your mouth absolutely shut. Now, one kind gentleman, I don't know if you would consider him so kind after I tell you what he said, but I won't tell you who it was, but it was a joke. It was a joke. He said, you know, there had to be no certain group of people in that group of people. Ms. Gail's shaking her head. There had to be no women in that group because they couldn't keep quiet for six, six, six times around. Okay, that's just to lighten the mood, okay. <laughs> I might concur, but I just lighten the mood. No, I think women can be just obedient, just as obedient and maybe more so than we men. But they were six times around on the seventh day, not a single word. But on the last time around, Joshua said, when you hear the trumpets and I say shout, I want everybody to shout. Last time around, they blow the trumpets. And Joshua shout, and they all shout in unison. And then what happens? Walls come tumbling down. Fast forward book of Judges, right after the book of Joshua, book of Judges. God raises up a man named Gideon. The Midianites had been afflicting Israel for many years, starving them to death. They were crying out to God for deliverance. God raises up a man named Gideon. Gideon gathers an army of about 20,000. God says, that's too many. I can only use how many? 300. So Gideon takes his men of 300. He sets them up on the hillside. and He gives them three pieces of equipment. Remember, remember what they were? A torch, a pitcher, like a pitcher to cover the torch, 
and then a trumpet. And Gideon said, follow the leader. Do what I do. So Gideon breaks the pitcher, exposing the torch, and blows the trumpet. So all 299 others do the same thing simultaneously. The Midianites are in the valley. They get so confused because of that that they begin fighting one another, and the whole army is destroyed. They didn't lift a finger, just praise. Jehoshaphat, one of my favorite stories in the Bible. No, I didn't say, gosh, you're fat. I said, Jehoshaphat. Y'all pay attention. Don't get distracted. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 17. These kings, many nations are coming against the nation of Israel. Jehoshaphat prays and says, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Jehoshaphat prays. He gets this word back from God. You will not need to fight in this battle. Just position yourself, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. King Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Then the, then the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and of the children of the Korites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high. So they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness. And as they went out before the army, they went out ahead in front of the army, they were saying, Praise the Lord, for his mercy endures forever. Now when they began to sing and to praise the Lord, the Lord set an ambush against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. They didn't lift a finger. They didn't slash a sword. All they did was what? Praise. And the army was defeated. What battle are you facing right now? What's your trial? What's your difficulty? Battles can come in different forms. They can be in some sort of trial. And I guarantee everybody here is going through some sort of trial. You're in a battle. And your temptation is the same as mine. Woe is me. Gripe. Complain. Look at all the negative aspects of what's going on in your life and around you. But I want to ask you this. How many, how many psalms? There's 150 chapters in Psalm, the longest book of the Bible. How many of those do you think David and Asaph and the writers of, other writers of the book of Psalms, how many of those do you think were written while under pressure? I think most of them. David wrote most of them while he was running and hiding from King Saul who sought to kill him. And he wrote down psalms, songs of praise that still to this day bring comfort to the hurting heart. I told this story in the early service. Tana, I didn't ask your permission, but I know you wouldn't mind. So you're going, boom. Before we moved to Thomasville, Georgia, Tana had a, uh, and she's shared this personally, but she's not a public speaker, so she wouldn't share it publicly. Uh, Tana went through a period of anxiety and depression. It was tough. We were raising four kids, born in five, five and a half years. She had a, a lot on her plate. 
in those days. We were just starting this church I just told you about. I was gone a lot. She was at home a lot by herself. I had our only car. She was stuck at home. And I don't know if all that contributed to it or not, but for some reason, in some fashion, biologically, chemically, she got depressed and anxious, anxiety attacks. It, would get, it got to the point where she would beg me to stay home. Don't leave. Please. Please don't leave. You don't know how hard that was. Sometimes I didn't, but often I had to. She told me, the only times I feel at peace is when you're reading the Bible to me or praying over me. Until somebody gave her a word of advice that really helped her. Said, get you a hymn book and just read out loud or sing some hymns. And Tana's testimony to anybody who would listen to it includes that right there, that that is one thing that God used to lift her from the pit of despair was praise and singing to the Lord. You see, it works, folks, if we will just do it. James said, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you, have, you are grieved by various trials. Chapter uh, 4, verse 13, he says, But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's suffering." That when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding great joy. Paul says in Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. What do I have to rejoice about? God, this is hard. My life stinks. I want it to change. I want this situation gone, dismissed. And all the while, we're looking this way. And Lord, all this problems with the COVID-19 and all these people who have all these different opinions and reactions to it is causing us a lack of peace. Peace, rejoicing, go hand in hand. Praise and peace go hand in hand. Rejoice, what does that scripture say? Before that, in the Lord. Can you rejoice in the Lord? Can you praise God for who God is like we talked about last week? Can you lift your voice up and praise God for who He is? Yes, you can. And he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Praise and rejoicing is the recipe for peace. You know why? Because it lifts our perspective off of ourselves and puts it on to God. And that's when Isaiah 26.3 comes into play. Isaiah 26.3 says, He shall keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed or fixed or focused on God. You see, praise 
picks up our focus. It gets it off of the here and the now. And, and we're looking at this situation right here. But praise helps us to lift our eyes up to God. And then God says, he promises. He doesn't say maybe. This is a guarantee. He promises, I will fill your heart with what kind of peace? Perfect peace. Are you experiencing perfect peace? If not, I know the answer. Praise. Praise. So in the, no matter how deep in despair you are today, would you lift up your voice and begin to praise the Lord? Not just when we're gathered together, but even when we are alone. We can experience God's peace. As Paul and Silas did, I refer to them again. They're in the deepest, darkest dungeon they have been arrested and beaten for doing something good, telling others about Jesus. And now they're locked into the innermost prison, the darkest place. They're shackled hand and foot. And they're not griping, they're not complaining, they're not whining. They're not looking at all the negativity and, and blaming the jailer and their accusers and their offenders, those that beat them. They're not bad-mouthing. What are they doing? The Bible says they're praying and they're singing. If Paul and Silas can do that during that time, then you and I can do, we can praise the Lord in our times of hardship. Can we not? Yes, we can. I was in college when this song came out. I'll ask you to show your age as I'm about to reveal mine. How many of you remember the singing group, the Imperials? Aha! The lead singer, who I think later went solo, was named Russ Taff. He wrote a song that I remember word for word to this day because I had it on tape and I used, used it all the time. It's entitled Praise the Lord. It goes like this. I'm not going to sing it again. I do in my personal time, but I'll spare you all this morning. When you're up against a struggle that shatters all your dreams... When your hopes have been cruelly crushed by Satan's manifested schemes. And you feel the urge within you to submit to earthly fear. Don't let the faith you're standing in seem to disappear. Praise the Lord. He works through those who praise Him. Praise the Lord. For our God inhabits praises. Praise the Lord. For the chains that seem to bind you serve only to remind you that they drop powerless behind you when you praise Him. Now Satan is a liar. And he wants to make us think that we're paupers when he knows himself we're children of the King. So lift up the mighty shield of faith for the battle must be won. We know that Jesus Christ is risen, so the work's already done. Praise the Lord. He can work through those who praise Him. Praise the Lord, for God inhabits your praises. Praise the Lord, for the chains that seem to bind you serve only to remind you that they will drop powerless behind you when you praise Him. Praise the Lord. Would you pray with me?